just me again. No big surprise. Hey, if you open up that program, inside there is a white and green message note sheet. That's a great tool to help you follow along with the teaching or to be able to jot down anything the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to remember. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right in. Father God, what an amazing gift it is to gather with family. Father, we thank you for the men and women in this room. We thank you for the families that are here. We thank you for the different stories, the different backgrounds, the different trials, and the different successes. Ultimately, we thank you as I look out into this audience and I see beautiful diversity. I'm warned by the fact that we are all unified by the same Jesus. Father, as we study what it means to have great character, what that really means is that we are learning to adopt your character. So Jesus, we ask for more of your character this evening. As I open up your word, which is living and active, we ask that we continually be transformed, Father. We want to be greater reflections of you in every aspect of our world, in our work, in our families, with our friends, in our ups and in our downs. We are here saying, Jesus, we are ready. Reveal yourself to us. Transform us in this time. Father, as I often pray as a communicator, let me become less and let you, through your word, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, become much, much more. In your son's name, we all said, amen. Well, if you're joining us again for the first time, not only do I want to welcome you again, but I want to take a few moments to give you a brief recap as the series we've been in. Today, we're going to be continuing what we've been talking about since the beginning of the year. It's a series called Renew the Character of Great Relationships. And I like how Michael has been putting it. See, God has a vision for your life that is big. See, God's vision for your life isn't simply that you just go to heaven when you die, but God has a vision of total renewal in every aspect of your life. Now, renewal means that you continually grow to be more like Jesus, to reflect him, but also that you begin to build the relationships you were designed for in the first place. And the reason why we're doing this series is because the most important ingredient for successful relationships of any kind is character. It's your character. What kind of character are you bringing into the relationship? What kind of character are you using to conduct yourself through the duration of this relationship? I like how Michael's been putting it the last several weeks that it takes chemistry to start a relationship. That's the easy part. It takes character to maintain the health of a relationship. Character is what allows relationships to go long-term well. And so there in your note sheet, if you look at the front page, there are five core principles about character that have been guiding this series. I'm not going to go over these. That's Michael's job. So you can review those. (laughs) You can review those on your own. But out of those core principles, what we're doing in the series, we're looking at seven key character traits that are essential for healthy relationships. So far, we've looked at authenticity, we've looked at integrity, we've looked at empathy. So let me encourage you, if you've missed one of them, or if you're just joining us for the first time, jump on our YouTube, you can go there through the app now, and watch those messages, because they are powerful, they are powerful for us in this journey. So today, the topic on the table is humility which is hilarious that I'm the one up here talking about humility. When I was in high school for about four years, when I turned in papers, after I wrote my name, I wrote the great one, following it just to mess with my teachers. And here I am, however many years later, talking about humility. What a great reminder that I need this as much as anybody else. But it's true, isn't it, on a serious sense? I've called myself a recovering narcissist many times because it's true, but that's true of all of us, isn't it? And arguably, as we look at this whole series, I would make a strong argument that of all the topics we're looking at, humility is probably the most misunderstood. And with that being the case, because humility is often the most understood, when it comes to our relationships, many of us are not actively seeking humility, nor do we value the act of humility in our relationships. And so what I want to do today is, looking at an example of Jesus, I want us to see that it is impossible hear me again because I'm intentionally using a strong word, it is impossible to have great relationships without humility. 
So with that, let's dive in. There in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Clearing Up the Confusion. So before we go into our scripture, let's define humility again because it can be confusing. So the first step I want to do is let's talk about what humility is not. And actually, it is not the stereotype we often think of it to be. See, we often think that humility is an extreme modesty. What I mean by that is we think that humility is, is being less than other people. So we think that I'm showing humility by people going, hey, you did a great job last week. No, I'm horrible. I'm terrible. No, I didn't. We think that humility is letting everybody know I'm horrible and you're not. You're better than me. Sometimes we think that humility is selling everything and choosing to live with nothing. Now, in some aspects, there can be the overflow of humility, but it is not the root See, humility actually has less to do with modesty and everything to do with Jesus' greatest commandment. See, in the Gospels, the four books that tells us about the life and teachings of Jesus, Jesus was asked once, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Another way of saying that is they're asking Jesus, out of everything to do in life, What is the most important thing I could be doing with my life, I could be doing with my time, I could be doing with my resources? Basically, they're asking Jesus, where should my focus be? And very famously, Jesus answered with two areas, love God and love people. In other words, Jesus challenged us to prioritize our relationships over ourselves look at the external before we look at the internal. And so that leads me to the definition I want to use with us. There on your note sheet, your fill-in is this. Humility is loving others by putting them first. Humility is loving others by putting them first. And the truth of the matter is, this is radical. Because when I examine my life, that is not my natural instinct in relationships. Can you relate to that? See, when I approach most relationships, whatever the relationship may be, my natural instinct is to ask the question, what am I going to get out of this? What are you going to do for me? How is this going to benefit me? How are you going to serve me? That's my natural instinct when it comes to relationships. And it makes me think that when Michael a few weeks ago was teaching on integrity, he asked us, he challenged us, are you, are you asking the wrong questions in your life? And often when it comes to our relationships and humility, we are asking the wrong question. What am I going to get out of this? What are you going to do for me? See, the truth about humility is that Jesus' model is a brand new way of thinking when it comes to our relationships. See, what he's asking us to do is to no longer ask the question, what am I going to get out of this? But to now ask a new question, what am I going to give to this relationship? What am I now going to invest and put into this relationship? Not only are we being asked to ask that question, but to lay that as the foundation for all of our relationships. What am I going to give? This others comes first. So let's break this down a little bit. There on your note sheet, I like how John Dixon, this Australian scholar, puts it, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influences for the good of others before yourself. More simply, you could say that the humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in the service of others. Do you see the greatest commandment in that? What am I going to give to this relationship? There, there's another quote I love by C.S. Lewis, the Narnia man himself. By the way, let me just tangent this. This is from a book called Mere Christianity. That is a master class when it comes to understanding more about God, please, I highly encourage you to read Mere Christianity. And in it, he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So now let's reflect on your relationships in life. And let's pull out the old question 
and let's ask the new question. When it comes to your friendships, let's start with just your core friendships, your best friendships. Are you approaching them with the attitude of what am I going to invest into this relationship? What am I going to give? When it comes to your romantic relationships, your dating relationships, your engagement, your marriages, whether you're newly married, been married for a long, long time, are you still approaching it with the attitude of what am I going to give? What am I going to invest? How am I going to serve? When it comes to your place of work, when it comes to dealing with coworkers or customers or your boss, when it comes to your attitude or your speech about all that, does it come across with an attitude of what am I going to give? What am I going to invest? When it comes to your kids, those of you that are parents, it's hard because it feels like our kids are always taking from us. But do we still, no matter how long we've been a parent, approach them with this attitude of what am I going to give into this relationship? When it comes to church, when it comes to coming into this weekend service, this helps this not become a movie theater experience where I just take, take, take and leave. We ask this question, hey, when it comes to my relationship with my church, what am I going to give? When it comes to something like our life group, we often ask a good question at the beginning of life group, what do you hope to get out of this session? But it's also flipping that question and asking, what are you going to give to your life group this session? What about the ministries here? What am I going to give when it comes to serving in First Impressions or serving in Celebrate Recovery? What about your enemies? Because here's the hard thing. We have a relationship with them too. What about the people that you disagree with? What about the people that have wronged you? What about the people that you just wrote a long tirade about on Facebook? (laughs) Are you approaching them with an attitude of humility going, what am I going to give? How am I going to invest? See, now we see a much bigger definition for humility, right? And frankly, it's a much harder definition, isn't it? And the amazing thing about the teaching of Jesus was he not only said, but he did. Jesus modeled the way we should walk. And so with that, now that we've defined humility, what I want to do is I want to paint a deeper picture by looking at a key example in the life of Jesus. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Humility Modeled. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're going to go to the New Testament, the second half of our Bible, to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. So as we're turning to John 13, let me set a little bit of context for us. So what John is going to tell us is he's setting the scene in the first couple of verses. It's Passover time. This is hugely important for the Jewish people as one of their major festivals, but this is also a very important Passover in the life of Jesus as that it will be his last Passover. See, what's happened up to this point is that the book of John has covered roughly three years. What's going to happen next is that the rest of John is going to cover one day. And so starting with this moment, you're going to see that Jesus is aware of who he is, of his authority, and the fact that he is about to die for our sins. And so Jesus is preparing the stage. John is also, in retrospect, going to tell us that Judas' disbelief in Jesus allowed the devil a foothold to begin to work through the betrayal of Jesus. And so what we're going to see over the next couple chapters in John is that Jesus is going to talk to his father followers, and he's going to prepare them for a new life, for the life in the light of his death and resurrection. And so with that, let's begin reading John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Would you underline that phrase? Would you put arrows or stars to it? Would you put it in a reminder so your phone buzzes with that every 15 minutes? If you've ever wondered how Jesus views you, regardless of your story, regardless of your sin, regardless of your damage, it is right here in one powerful phrase. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, again, Jesus' authority, put things, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took, his outer, out, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now let's stop right there. Let me build a little bit of context because... Sometimes, if we've been around these Bible stories before, they kind of sound normal to us. And so what we need to do is we need to take a step back to realize that for the people experiencing these, this was anything but normal. And so for this act, this was a bombshell of an act that the disciples were witnessing. See, and here's why. In this part of the world, in this time of history, foot washing was a very common act. Sometimes it was done for religious purposes or ceremonial purposes, but very commonly it was done for hygiene. It was done for comfort. They walked around these dusty Palestinian roads, often in uh, sandals, and it was done for respect when you walked into someone's home. Think of a welcome mat. You don't want people trailing all that nonsense in your house, right? So this was a very common thing. So if I entered someone's home, usually what a host would do is he would provide water and a basin for me to wash my feet. Now, if the host or the establishment was wealthier, not only would they provide the supplies, but they would provide a servant or a slave to wash my feet. Now, understand something about the person doing the foot washing. If that was your job in life, that was a very clear message that just about everyone else was better than you. That was one of the lowest places you could be on the social hierarchy. In fact, in some Jewish households, they believed that that act was so low that it was too good for even Jewish slaves so they would save it for Gentile, non-Jewish slaves to do. So the disciples were average guys. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were not that high on the social scale, but what they knew was we're at least not the person that washes people's feet. So emotionally connect with them, with what is going on. That is how their world works. That is normal to them. There's no, they're like, this is just how it is. This is how it's always been. And now Jesus, someone that they have, a, they have proclaimed is better than them, is their teacher, is their Lord, is their Messiah, dresses like a lowly slave. And in those times, the dress of a slave was looked down upon and he begins to wash their feet. Emotionally, think about what's going through their heads right now. There is probably shock and awe and there's probably confusion going, what is happening? See, here's what's really interesting. Had this been reversed, had Jesus asked them to wash his feet, they likely would have done it in a heartbeat because they knew he is better than we are. Had they been given the option to watch each other's feet, they likely would have denied because that would have been an admission, hey, you're better than me. No, no, no. That's not how this works. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, many scholars believe this was earlier from this event we're experiencing now, what happens is the disciples get into a discussion, if you will, about which of them is the greatest disciple. I'm curious what kind of evidence and arguments they're forming here. I was closer to Jesus when he raised that dude from the dead. I felt that power going through me. And so what happens is Jesus walks into this argument and there in your note sheet, he begins to prep them for the symbol by what he says then. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
Now, what's key, especially in that verse, is the fact that he refers to himself by that title, the Son of Man. So he is sharing his authority. He is calling himself by one of his titles, the Son of Man is here to serve. So what Jesus is doing through this teaching, what he's doing through this act, is what Jesus does best. He is taking their world, he is taking our world, and he is flipping it completely upside down. So let's continue reading. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So let's stop and unpack a little bit. Peter is not asking a defiant question. He's asking a very honest question, isn't he? He doesn't understand what's going on. Likely the rest of them didn't. And so he's asking the question that I would have been asking are you actually doing this? Is this actually happening? And if you look at Jesus' response, you may not understand this now, but you will soon. See, we have the gift of hindsight. We see how this all fits within the death and resurrection of Jesus. That hadn't happened yet. So Jesus is preparing them, hey, this teaching, this lesson, this command, this charge, what you are experiencing right now, this is going to make perfect sense in the aftermath of my cross. Because of the cross of Jesus, we are now renewed and we live differently. So Jesus here is setting the foundation. And again, in verse 8, you see Peter's like, no, you're never going to do this. And Jesus' response, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See, that's a powerful statement because Jesus wasn't talking about the act. But this act of foot washing is a symbol to the bigger cleansing that Jesus does, which is he washes us of our sins. Jesus is saying, if you don't allow me to wash you of your sins, you have no part of me. That's something that God does extremely well, is that often I have a narrow view of the world. And what he does is he takes my view and he expands it. And he'll continue along those lines as he says, verse 9, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was, not everyone was clean. So Peter's still confused. He's not understanding what's going on because, again, this isn't how the world works. Jesus is flipping his world upside down. And remember when Jesus did that in your life? We didn't immediately get everything like that. And so he's flipping his world around and he's going, unless I do this, you have no part of me. So the narrow view, Peter, and again, I don't think Peter's at fault. I think this is what I would have done. Peter takes it literally and goes, oh, okay, then wash all of me. Get, get me all in here. And once again, Jesus shares the symbolism, but a beautiful encouragement for us. If you've had a bath, you don't need this. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ followers, we will still stumble. We will still make mistakes. But know that the blood of Jesus has washed you clean and that our shortcomings don't negate his work on the cross. And so I'm cleansed by Jesus, but in this example, I need to confess my sins and I need to have my feet washed. I need these smaller cleansings each and every day. And here's what's very extraordinary about the humility Jesus is modeling. He talks about his betrayer. He talks about Judas, right? Remember, the disciples didn't know that Judas was going to betray him. Sometimes we have this image that they knew he was evil the whole time. You sometimes have this picture of Judas being this melodrama villain, that he was always dressed in black, top hat, handlebar mustache, always in the corner scheming. So everybody's like, oh yeah, that dude's definitely a traitor. No. No, Judas was one of them. He was their brother. He walked with them for three years. They didn't know, but Jesus did. And knowing that Judas was going to betray him in just a few short hours, he still showed him humility. And he washed his feet. In fact, not just Judas, 
In a few short hours, all of the disciples would abandon Jesus. In a few short hours, Peter would deny Jesus three times. Those are some significant errors in my book, wouldn't you say? And Jesus showed them love through humility, whether it was deserved or not. That's a powerful picture. So as we continue reading, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Probably a big no at this point. Verse 13, underline this. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. So you see, Jesus is not defining humility with this false modesty. He's reminding them, what you think of me, being higher than you, that is exactly who I am. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, underline this, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What did Jesus do through this? He challenged the standards of the world. Not just their world standards, but our world standards. See, Jesus challenged this view of pride that if you want to, quote, be successful in this world, you do it by stepping over other people. That you go into relationships and worry about, number one, me, and you get everything you possibly can out of other people because you are the center of the universe. And Jesus says, that's how the world works. That is not how I work. And it goes back to what he said in Mark. If you want to be great, it doesn't happen the way the world defines it. It happens by imitating me. And so he's not asking us to literally go and do foot washing. He's asking us to go and show humility, to love others as he loves them by putting them first, by serving them, by having an attitude that I am here to give and to invest. And one thing that I love about this model that Jesus gives us is that he charges us to do it passionately. There's nothing in Jesus that wants you to feel like this is a chore or that you have to check this off a list. This only comes from transformation. This is not a chore. This is an opportunity to be more like my Savior. I have set an example. What a beautiful statement that in my life, with the power of the Holy Spirit, in your lives with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to live like Jesus to reflect him, to follow his example. And he goes on. Verse 16, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you look back at verse 16, here is how I paraphrase this. I'm Jesus, and I'm not asking I'm commanding. The world needs to be changed. And the community of Christ is the ones that are going to do it. And he says that if you do these, you will be blessed. Biblically, being blessed doesn't necessarily mean financial things, money falling out of the sky, things like that. Biblically, being blessed means that you find fulfillment in Jesus you find your identity in him. Another way of saying it is that you now live in right relationship with him. So if we show humility, we will then be blessed because we are reflecting Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that's the passage I wanted to share to show us that. So with the time we have left, what I want to do is I want to take this concept of humility and I want to dig into two truths practically to help us apply this to our lives. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Two Truths About Humility. And your first fill-in is this. Humility is essential. Humility is essential. 
I mentioned at the top of this message that it is impossible to have a healthy relationship without humility. And the reason why we need Jesus to change the way we think is, again, because of a misunderstanding of humility, we often viewed it as an add-on. Okay, that would be nice, but it's not necessary. I don't necessarily need this. But what we see through the model of Jesus is that humility is not an add-on, but it is a core part of the engine that drives relationships. If I want to have healthy genuine, deep friendships, deep marriage, deep dating relationship, deep relationship with my kids or my parents, a deep relationship and my work, wherever it may be, it requires humility, a godly humility as Jesus modeled for us. Because what's the opposite of humility? We think about pride, we think about ego, and that is absolutely true. But ultimately, the opposite of humility means sending the message verbally, non-verbally through our actions that when, it, when the, uh, and the other person does not matter. When I don't act with humility in my relationships, then I am letting them know that they don't matter. Let me illustrate this. So recently, I was at a retail store buying coffee because I have three kids. So... I was buying a bunch of cups for our little coffee maker, and it was my turn to pay. So I walked up, said hi, gave my million-dollar smile right there. It was good, right? And here's what was interesting for me. I've never had this experience before. The checker was having a conversation with the other employee behind her. And as I walked up, she didn't break her conversation, nor did she break her body language. So you're standing where I'm at, I'll be standing where she is, and she's literally like this as I walk up. So I walk up, and I'm convinced she hasn't even seen me. I'm kind of like, hello, hi. And what happens is she proceeds to check me out without ever breaking conversation or breaking body language. I never really saw her face. She scanned me somehow like that. It was a chip. She didn't have to deal with my card. And then I left. Now, I got to tell you, that was an awkward experience. Now, she wasn't blatantly mean to me. She didn't say anything rude to me. But how did I feel? Like I didn't matter. I felt like I was encroaching on her. I felt like I had no place here. Like, why did I even bother to come? That is an awful feeling. And what I ref- why I share that is when I realize when I act without humility in my marriage, that's how I make my wife feel. That's how I make my kids feel when I act without humility. That's how I make my friends feel. That's how I make the people I serve with at this church. That's how I make my coworkers feel. In fact, that's how I, that's, I can act like that towards God. And so many of us, we've had that done to us. And it hurts, doesn't it? But our response is often to do it back. But do you see that Jesus is calling us to a different way? See, Jesus commanded us to be humble because the community of God, Christ followers, you are new in Jesus because you have experienced his love, you have experienced ultimate value, and you have been restored through the love and humility of our Savior. And so now what he's asking of us is to go into the world and show them that love through humility. See, what I love about Jesus' example was he didn't say, follow my example and be humble some of the time. He didn't say, follow my example and be humble when the other party deserves it. He said, go and do as I did. He asked us to approach all of our relationships to transform because when you bring a Jesus-centered humility into a relationship, it will transform it. And that's what he's asking us is to go from, a, to make a major change from not valuing or pursuing humility or seeing it as an add-on to making it a regular rhythm of our lives. I like how it's put there on your note sheet. 
Jesus now wants his followers to exemplify that same love to one another. His act of sacrifice cannot be repeated, but his model of self-giving love can become a natural feature of the community that follows him and imitates him. Now, real talk here, because humility doesn't come naturally to us, and I'm going to get into that in the second point. Trying to approach our relationships with humility is going to feel unnatural. Whenever we do anything we're not used to doing, it always feels like that. So the question becomes, how do we take the unnatural and how do we allow Jesus to turn that into a regular rhythm of our lives? And so what I want to do is I want to give you three practical steps to do, but they're all under the same big picture. See, if I need to be transformed, if I need to think and act differently, that is not going to happen unless I'm in the presence of God. The presence of God is where I will always find transformation. So these three steps mean being in the presence of God. The first step is this, that in prayer, pray for the big picture. Pray for God to transform the way you see humility. Pray for God to give you his heart, his passion, his desire to be humble. Pray that he would fill you up with a new teaching of humility that it would overflow into your thoughts and into your actions. The second step with that is pray for God to reveal the areas in your life that you're falling short when it comes to humility. Understand that may not be a pleasant conversation, but the reality is that it's for two reasons. One, it's for self-awareness. If we're not Allowing God to diagnose us, we're never going to grow. But secondly, God brings us to the forefront to show you that you are healed. To wash you with his forgiveness. So, what could that blind spot be? Is there a specific person? Is there a group or an organization that you know that you struggle showing humility towards? Is there a general habit or an action that you encounter with people regularly. I know one of the things that the Lord continually reveals in my life is that my lack of humility comes out in my language. It comes out in the way I talk to people in my relationships, a snarkiness or a bitterness or an egotism in my speech, a tone that makes it go, hey, my word is law, you don't matter. You know, for some of us, as we go down this language rabbit tail, is your lack of humility displayed in your written language? Hey, let me ask you to examine the last time you shot off an angry email, was there humility in it? I'm not saying you shouldn't speak up or say something when wronged or you feel that you've been let down, but does it still include humility? The last time there was an angry text message or an angry social media post, were you communicating your viewpoint while still showing humility? What are our blind spots? Because the Lord wants to grow us as a community to show the world that there is a different place. So the first step was to pray to God, transform me. The second step was, God, show me where I need to grow and be encouraged because of his power. You can grow in those areas. And the third step is trust the process. Don't quit. I don't know about you, but I'm an instant gratification guy. The drive through was invented for people like me because I could save time of walking through the doors. I save a whole five minutes, Amazon Prime, anything that's instant, I'll take it. And so I feel myself getting antsy when I know I need to grow in an area and it doesn't happen like that. And God's best work often is done in the long term. So trust the process. Don't quit. Step after step that he shows you, it's going to get that much easier than that much than that much. And before you know it, it's going to become a regular rhythm of your life. So humility is essential. I like, again, how C.S. Lewis puts it there on your note sheet when he paints the picture of a humble person. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person 
who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it'll be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy his life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. It's a powerful picture. And we can get there with God's power in our lives. So humility is essential. The second fill-in, humility is learned. Humility is learned. So let me illustrate this. Um, I've mentioned this from up here before. I'm not particularly handy. I don't really know how to use tools. I get lost in Home Depot and Lowe's. I'm helpless. And recently, my family and I, we moved. And so when you move from one place, there's a home inspection, and they require you to fix all the stuff you broke while you were there, right? So I want to save money, so I'm trying to figure out, can I do this on my own? And the inspectors highlighted a problem with our toilet. Not a major problem, but it was a problem that required the toilet being lifted up, having something replaced and put back. So I'm sitting there going, okay, I can hire someone or I can watch YouTube. So I chose (laughs) YouTube and I watched about a video and a half and I'm like, I got this. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I walked in the lows, looking like they guys have no idea that I'm not a pro. I got this as I go in. In fact, I was so confident in my ability that you're like, you know what? An hour tops, I'm going to do this on my lunch break. So during the work day, I go home. I'm like, I'm going to knock this out, go back to work feeling pretty good about myself. So six hours later... After numerous frantic phone calls to my wife, who works for a plumber, (laughs) she finally called a friend who was a plumber and sent him to save me. And when he walked in the door, there was no pretense. There was just, thank God you're here. (laughs) And he said something pretty profound to me. I don't think he even realizes how profound it was. He looked at all the tools and what I've been trying to do, and he's like, you know what? You actually had everything here that she would have needed. And that got me thinking, I had everything in place, but the one thing I was missing was a model. I had never done this before. I had the tools, but I needed someone to lead me through how to do this. And when it comes to humility, that is absolutely true. See, we can have all the tools, the desire, the, yeah, I'm going to learn to grow in this. But remember, this does not come naturally. Our natural instinct in relationships is ego, pride, destruction. And so the reality is, is if I want to grow in humility when it comes to my relationships, if I want to renew my character, there is no way I can do this on my own. I don't need a model. I need the model of humility. Jesus. And so there in your note sheet from our reading today, I just put it there so we could see it again. I have set an example for you, should, for, you, for you that you should do as I have done for you. So let's break this down a little bit. If we are going to learn to show humility in our relationships, then the most important place we're going to do that is by following the example of Jesus. In fact, I want to give you a key word in that. If I'm going to learn humility as Jesus taught it, I need to immerse myself in the life of Jesus. I need to immerse myself in his life. And there's many ways to do that. In the first step, I talked about through prayer, through being in God's presence, through that act where you're communing and talking What I want to do is I want to give you two other practical steps to immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus. The first one is my favorite one. I will say this to the day I die on this stage, by getting into his word, by going to the Bible, by learning directly from the very words and actions of Jesus. This week in your life groups, those of you that are sermon-based, in your study, you're going to dig into Philippians chapter 2, a beautiful set of verses that talks about God's heart for humility. 
If you don't happen to be in a life group or not in one that's doing uh, the sermon studies, I would love to encourage you to start by start, stop by the starting point and get copies of the study because these are powerful scriptures that remind us of what humility is and how God sees it. Or maybe you'll go through one of the Gospels, one of those four books, and what we see in those books is Jesus' example of humility. We see him looking and valuing and restoring the people the society has said are the least of these. We see him adding being passionate of people regardless of their shortcomings or even regardless if they were for him or not. Jesus is a masterclass in humility. And if I want to learn to apply humility in my life, I need to follow the model of the one who has defined it himself. So get into his word. And with that, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Two quick ones. One, if you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of Mark. It's one of the four books that tells about Jesus' life, and it's the shortest. Maybe you start by reading a chapter a day. Maybe you just take a few verses, whatever your pace, start. Maybe reading isn't your favorite way to ingest. Maybe listening is the best way. Hey, a free Bible download. We talk about the YouVersion Bible all the time. It reads the Bible to you. So put it on while you're working around the house. Put it on while you're driving. Also, in the YouVersion, I experimented with this today, it gives you options of free Bible reading plans. In that tab, I searched humility, and a whole bunch of stuff came out. The first hit was a reading plan called humility. Probably a good start as we go in there. So learn, immerse yourself in the word of God. The second thing, immerse yourself in the example of family. There's somebody in your life, potentially, that loves Jesus, is imperfect, but has embraced this teaching of him. Maybe it's a family member of yours. Maybe it's a friend Maybe it's somebody in your life group or a life group leader. Maybe it's somebody you serve with at First Impressions or in kids' ministry. Whoever that may be, seek them out. If you have different examples for different areas of your life, man, this person embraces this teaching in their marriage. This person is showing humility in their work. This person shows humility in conflict. Seek them out. Buy them a coffee and ask them questions. Learn from them. How did you learn to make this a rhythm? What what did you pray? How did God kind of open your eyes to your blind spots? Learn from their examples. Ask them to pray for you. Man, the power of prayer in community is powerful. Imagine going to people in your life group and saying, I want to grow in humility when it comes to this relationship. Pray for me. Hey, if you're new to faith, If you're new to Rocky Peak and you're like, I don't know if I have those relationships yet, a great way to find those relationships is by getting involved, whether by serving or joining a ministry like Celebrate Recovery or when we have our next session, joining a life group. There's opportunities and there's places where you can build on these relationships to help you model this. And so as we talk about humility, as we talk about Jesus' example it leads me to a beautiful act that Jesus has given us, and that's the act of communion. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to invite the worship team to come out, and what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate by taking communion. And what we do when we take communion is we remember the greatest act of humility ever shown to us. We remember that the Son of God loved us came for us, died for our sins, rose again so that we would no longer be damned by our sins. When you take of that cup and you remember his blood, when you take of that bread and you remember his body, he used his power for the good of others. He humbled himself even to death on a cross so that we may live So if you've given your life to Jesus, and that's what this act is for, for those that have crossed that line, for those that have said, Jesus, my life is yours, I want to encourage you. There are tables all around the room. The closest table may get bottlenecked. Don't worry, there are other ones. And as we go into this time, reflect on the humility shown to you 
and ask God for a new desire, a new teaching to show that humility to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for the humility you show us. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Father, thank you that you have gone before us, that you empower us to show humility. I'm sure for many of us in here, there's some relationships where we could think, yeah, I'm excited, that'll be easy. I'm sure for many of us, there's some relationships where we go, man, showing humility is going to be a challenge. Regardless of where we stand, we are filled with the same Holy Spirit. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives inside of us. And that is the power that will allow us to show humility. Give us a new passion as a church, Jesus, as your church. Let us go out in a world that is full of hate, divisiveness, ego, destruction, and let's show them a new way. Let's show them your way in powerful humility. In your son's name, we all said, amen. Let's stand, worship, and take communion together. Let's pray together. Father, Father, what an amazing declaration that when we see your cross, we see freedom. Father, it is a new day. Father, every day is a new day now living in the aftermath of, the, of your act of humility on that cross. And so we praise your followers, Lord, that we follow your example, that we take your mission seriously, that we grow to be more like you through this act of humility, through deepening our character to be more of reflections like you. And so, Father, as we sing this final song, as we receive our gifts and offerings, let us do it with an energy and a passion that is God-given. Let, it do it, let us do it fired up by the Holy Spirit. Let us do it in a confidence in how our Savior sees us. Let us do it in a joy that we have received and experience the humility of Jesus the Christ. Father, thank you for this time and let us go out loudly and proudly because we are marked by your spirit. In your son's name, we all said, amen. That was awesome, you guys. That was great. I think it's pretty obvious to all of us that our world desperately needs a change. And it's not going to come in our power, but it's going to come on his power. But understand something about transformation. Before we can hope it to change the external, it has to start with us internally. See, with a message like this, there might be a temptation. Some of us might be sitting there going, oh, I've got like 10 people that need to hear this because that'll fix them. <laughs> Let God do that. You think about the one person that needs to apply this. So as you go this week, may there be a week in which you experience new blessings from living out this act of humility. May this be a week in which you experience new encouragement for taking on a character trait of Jesus. May this be a week in which your humility overflows in all your relationships. May this be a week in which other people are blessed because of you. Amen? Hey, if you'd like to pray with somebody before we leave this place, over to my right, your left along that wall, are some amazing men and women, part of our prayer team, that would love to pray with you. Hey, next week, you gotta be here as we continue our series. Michael's gonna be back and he's talking about courage. He's talking about how do we have the courage to do our relationships well? How do we have the courage to do our relationship with God well? You're not gonna wanna miss it. We'll see you then. Have a good night.